Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, December 11th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So I got up this morning fully expecting to see gold and silver tanking. And they are both down a little bit, but not nearly as much as I expected. Of course, the day is still young. So why my doom and gloom? Well, an important FDA advisory panel gave the green light to the Pfizer vaccine late yesterday, and that means the agency will almost certainly approve it. And of course, nothing gets investors excited like the promise of a vaccine. Now, I don't know if this is the miracle cure for COVID or not, but I do know it's not the miracle cure for the economy. I mean, if you've been listening to this show regularly, you know this. I feel like that's basically all I talk about. But there are also some important factors that are keeping gold and silver buoyed up a bit, even with the vaccine news. For one thing, we still have significant dollar weakness. The dollar index is still hovering around a two and a half year low. And also, Congress is still dragging its feet on stimulus. In fact, I saw a headline this morning that said stock futures were way down uh, because you know they can't seem to get the stimulus deal done. I mean, the markets really want stimulus. I think that's actually more critical in the long term than the vaccine. But as I've been saying, you're going to get your stimulus. The question isn't if, it's when and how much. I'm also starting to hear a little bit of mainstream chatter about the possibility of inflation. It's kind of like they know it might, maybe, could possibly be a problem, but they can't quite bring themselves to admit it. You know, a lot of pundits are pointing to the bond market as kind of the security blanket, and they claim that yields are still low, and that doesn't signal any kind of inflation concern. But if you look at the trend, interest rates are nudging up. Now, keep in mind, bond yields are the inverse of bond prices. So when the price of a bond drops, its yield rises. And when a bond price rises, interest rates fall. So look at it from a demand perspective. When investors are buying a lot of bonds, the price will tend to rise and the yields will drop. It's basic supply and demand dynamics, right? So right now, we're seeing bond prices tick down and yields are starting to rise because demand for bonds is waning in this big risk-on environment, right? Everybody thinks the economy is going to improve, we're going to get the vaccine, so people are not so inclined to buy bonds. There's less demand for bonds. That said, the yield on the 10-year Treasury is still below 1%, and that's historically pretty low. So mainstream pundits point at that and they say, see, this is not signaling inflation. In the past, rising yields have been the harbinger of inflation. Inflation is a major concern if you're lending money, right? If the lender expects a high rate of inflation, say over the next 10 years, she'll want to be compensated for the decrease of purchasing power of her money over time by a higher rate of interest. If lenders expect higher inflation, they'll build those expectations into interest rates. She'll have higher rates on loans. Since we're not seeing a huge spike in bond yields, a lot of analysts just assume inflation must not be a concern. But they're just ignoring a huge player here, the Federal Reserve. The Fed has its big fat thumb on the bond market. It is buying up lots of treasuries, and it's basically just propping up demand. It's keeping interest rates lower than they would be. 
The Fed is basically covering over, it's papering over any actual inflation signal that we might be getting from the bond market. I actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Fed now owns a record 16.5% of all of the outstanding U.S. public debt. In the last 12 months, the Fed has doubled its holdings of U.S. Treasuries. It's added a staggering $2.4 trillion in U.S. government bonds to its balance sheet in the last year, most of it since March. The Fed has monetized the equivalent of almost all of the debt the U.S. has issued in the last year. Now, keep in mind, central banks aren't like real investors. They aren't concerned about losing money on a loan, right? They aren't lending money in the way you would if you were lending money out. The Fed isn't making a business decision. It's making a political decision. It will buy bonds even when they are a bad buy. Basically, they are rigging the market. Their concern is keeping air in the economic bubbles. The Fed's presence in the bond market also drives speculators into the market. They can buy dips in the market knowing that if worse comes to worst, they can always just sell to the Fed. They know the Fed will be there to suck up any extra demand from the market. If It's, it's kind of like their get-out-of-jail-free card, right? All of this to say you can't look at the bond market and say, eh, nobody is worried about inflation. With the Fed intervening in the market, bond yields aren't telling you anything about inflation. You know, it's kind of crazy. Basically, the Fed is fighting inflation with inflation. It's like fighting fire with fire, maybe fighting fire with gasoline. If rates start to push up because of inflation pressure, Everybody has just accepted the fact that the Fed is going to rush in and create even more inflation by buying more bonds and monetizing more debt in order to hold the interest rates down. This is a massive spiral. You know, the market should be scared. Peter Schiff talked about this at length in his podcast this week, and I'll link to that on the show notes page if you want to dig into that a little deeper. So anyway, a vaccine may hold some promise in restoring some normalcy to the economy down the road, but it's not like it's sending people back to work today. In fact, after all the optimism over the summer that we had because the unemployment rate was dropping quickly, things are starting to look a little less rosy. Weekly jobless claims increased by 853,000 last week. That was versus an estimate of 730,000. It was the highest weekly number we've seen since September 19th. We're starting to see the impact of new government shutdowns from the RONA. Even more concerning are the deeper structural issues that are starting to show up in these numbers. Last Friday, we got the non-farm payroll report from the Labor Department. It revealed a slowing labor market recovery. Unemployment ticked down from 6.9% to 6.7%, but the economy only added 243,000 jobs last month. This was way below the 500,000 economists were projecting. And keep in mind, it's not like the economy is creating a bunch of new jobs. You know, basically, it's just recovering jobs that were lost because of the coronavirus. The mainstream tried to put a positive spin on the report because of the drop in the unemployment rate. But if you actually look at the numbers, the unemployment rate is primarily being driven lower by an exodus of people from the labor force. In order to be counted as unemployed in the statistics, you have to be actively looking for work. According to the Labor Department, about 400,000 people actually just dropped out of the labor force in November. And the labor force participation rate went down from 61.7% to 61.5%. So, you know, 
This is less than ideal. And I don't think these deep wounds to the economy and the labor market are just going to disappear once we get through the pandemic. All of that to say, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for this economic renaissance in 2021. I want to shift gears now and talk a little bit about student loans. You know, the whole student loan mess teaches a lot of lessons about government, government intervention, and economics. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a lot of talk about student loan debt forgiveness right now. I'm not even going to get into the ethics of making other people pay your debts. If you're listening to this show, you probably get that, right? That's the low-hanging fruit here. But I want to look at the economics in all of this. Student loan forgiveness offers a really good example of what economist Frederick Bastiat warned us about, looking not just at what is seen, but also what is unseen. You know, we can see the benefits of forgiving student loans, right? I mean, all of the people that owe all of this money would be off the hook. It would take a huge burden off the shoulders of millions of people. I mean, right now, 45 million Americans owe roughly $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. So this is a huge issue. But are there consequences to just erasing billions of dollars in debt that might be less obvious? Well, of course there are, because somebody has to pay for it. You know, most people don't seem to realize or just don't care that the debt doesn't just vanish into thin air. You know, Joe Biden can't wave a magic wand and make the debt disappear. The lenders will still get their money. Student loan forgiveness simply means the federal government, i.e. the taxpayer, will pay the balance instead of the borrower. These are government-backed loans. That means if the borrower doesn't pay, the government does. Government-backed student loans were a boondoggle from the beginning. I mean, U.S. taxpayers are already on the hook for a $435 billion loss on the $1.37 trillion in student loan debts that were on the government's books at the beginning of this year. That's according to an internal study by the Department of Education. So you're already paying. That's before any loan forgiveness program that might come down the pike under the Biden administration. Now, ironically, the blame for this glut of student loan debt actually falls squarely on the shoulders of the U.S. government. You know, the same people that are promising that they're going to fix the problem. Had Uncle Sam not guaranteed all of these loans, lenders would have never been willing to loan a bunch of college kids money to begin with. I mean, they would recognize the fact that a lot of this money was going to get spent on Xboxes and, you know, spring break vacations. These aren't exactly your most creditworthy, you know, borrowers. Okay, but so what if the federal government prints some money and pays off a bunch of student loan debt? Why should I care? Well, first off, loan forgiveness would likely raise the cost of college even higher. The widespread availability of student loans drove up college tuition in the first place. Studies have shown that the influx of government-backed student loan money into the university system is directly linked to the surging cost of college education. So the very thing that the government said it was going to fix, you know, the high price of college, it actually made worse by backing all of these student loans. Now, with loan forgiveness, college administrators will just figure, well, now we can really raise tuition because our students know they can borrow the money and they won't ever have to pay it back. It's classic moral hazard. There is no risk to borrowing money for college. I won't have to pay it back, right? Because mark my words, if the government does it once, it will do it again. And if that's the case, then you'd be an idiot to work hard and avoid college debt. You know that eventually it's just going to get erased. 
The second problem with this loan forgiveness plan is that the U.S. government doesn't have any money. You know, Uncle Sam is broke. So it's going to have to borrow billions more to pay for any loan forgiveness scheme. Borrowed money has to be paid back by taxpayers, either in the form of higher taxes or inflation, most likely both. And that really brings us to the most significant impact of student loan forgiveness. It's huge inflationary effect. I mean, think about this a second. It would basically just be another big stimulus program, and it would have the same inflationary impact as any stimulus program. If the Fed forgave $1 trillion in student loans, it would basically be like dropping a $1 trillion out of a helicopter. Now, I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't mind having money dropped on my head out of a helicopter, but there are negative effects to the economy. So, under normal circumstances, when somebody defaults on their debt and simply doesn't pay it back, it's a gain to the borrower, but it's a loss to the lender. So, this isn't inflationary. The extra money the debtor saves on debt payments and now has to spend is offset by the money the lender will never get back to be able to spend. But when the government backs the loan, the calculus changes. Borrowers will have extra money since they no longer have to pay back the loans. Lenders, they'll still get their money because the government's going to pay the balance. And of course, the government will borrow the money and the Fed will monetize the debt. The money supply will expand by the amount of whatever the student loan forgiveness program ends up being. I mean, we've already talked about the very real threat of inflation and how the Fed is basically papering it over. Student loan debt forgiveness will only add fuel to that fire. The bottom line is you would be wise to consider the impact of inflation on your financial situation and your financial future. If you want to learn how owning gold and silver in your portfolio can help mitigate this inflation threat, Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. Call 1-888-GOLD-160 or shoot them an email to info at shiftgold.com. They'll get back to you. They can help you personalize your investment strategy and see how precious metals uh, will fit into your personal investment portfolio and into your uh, goals and needs. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe to this show, the Friday Gold Wrap podcast over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. We're also on Stitcher, Google Play. You'll find links to all of these things over on the show notes page. I do appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a great week, and I will talk to you next time.